Hello and welcome to the Van Foodster Podcast. I am your host, Richard Wallach, covering the food scene in and around the Vancouver area, across Canada and beyond. This is episode 113 of the Van Foodster podcast. In this week's episode, I do a feature on Man & Co. Bake Shop recently opened in Surrey. I feature Z&W Shanghai Kitchen that specializes in Shanghainese cuisine in Kitsilano. I feature an interview with Vincent Garcia, co-owner of Kasama Chocolate. I feature the Vancouver Signature Coffee Drink Challenge. And lastly, I feature an interview with Masa Shiroki, owner of Artisan Sake Maker on Granville Island. Follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Van Foodster, as well as visit VancouverFoodster.com for everything food in Vancouver and beyond. We'll get on with this week's episode. Man & Co. Bake Shop is a beautiful new bakery that has just opened out in Surrey a couple weeks ago. It's uh, at 13411-71A Avenue in Surrey. It is owned by uh, pastry chef Jujar Singh Man, and he is known to be very creative in the cake world. He has made incredible cakes, and anybody whose wedding that he has made cakes for is in, in heaven, I suppose, because uh, I hear a lot of great things about him. He had been on a TV show on Food Network, on Chocolate Showdown. He had competed on that, and he is a young guy with incredible talent. And um, just a beautiful, beautiful shop out in uh, Surrey. So uh, you have to check it out. Um, I had uh, visited uh, the other day and tried uh, several of his different desserts. And um, I, I tried quite a selection. I kind of wanted to get an idea of the different types of desserts he had. And uh, my favorites um, were the uh, Earl Grey Lemon Opera Cake. That was phenomenal. You know, I've had opera cakes. Everybody has had opera cakes in the past and just just great flavors. Earl Grey and lemon together. It was just very, very good. Um, as was the Mango Cardamom Extreme, a uh, little dessert there. And it's just, you know, the mango and the cardamom together are really good. And uh, you'll find a lot of cardamom in the Indian culture anyways. But uh, that is a really good one. I also love the cardamom gulab jamun trifle. And usually gulab jamun to me is quite quite sweet but actually just worked out really well it was layered as a trifle um, inside of this little jar and it was very good i also like this uh they had a specialty the day i was there it was called gachak uh, peanut brittle cupcake it was for a, a indian holiday uh, called lordy it was on this weekend it's only on this weekend so i don't imagine that they'll be having this uh peanut brittle cupcake uh, much longer but it was very good and if you hear it today maybe you head on out there and try it um, I also like the other items. The chocolate truffle cake pop is really fun. I think kids would love that. Mom, take your kids in the shop, get them the cake pop. They're going to love it. And the vanilla uh, strawberry milkshake cupcake, also really good. But um, my favorite was, of course, the uh, the peanut one, the garden chocolate. I also tried one of their uh, savory danishes, a spinach and feta danish. So they are also doing some savory items. And they've got gorgeous cakes there. And if you want to get a cake for any special occasion, um, call them up. Uh, make an advanced reservation. I'm sure they'll create anything you want them to create, they'll do for you. So uh, definitely a, cho- a great place. And there's one other thing I, I did take, but I didn't actually try it yet. It's the Mocha Chocolate Bomb. They have a whole bunch of different different types of chocolate bombs to make a hot chocolate at home. This is obviously a heavenly hot chocolate. So check that out when you're there. They've got some chocolate bars on offer as well. 
Anyway, you can find Google the address and head on over to this place, uh, Manico Bake Shop. I'm sure they're going to do very well. Uh, another spot that I actually had visited this week and I had never been to before. It's in Kisilano. It's called ZNW Shanghai Kitchen. They specialize in Shanghainese cuisine. Um, and that's not that common. There's a lot of Chinese restaurants around the city, but this one's not specifically that common here. Uh, 2126 West Broadway, just around the construction of the subway, but uh, great spot there. Huge restaurants. So you definitely want to check it out. So try one of their new dishes, and I had not been there before, but one of the newest dishes they have is called the Black Tiger Shrimp with a Wasabi Cream. It's served on a potato chip, which was really creative, on a potato chip. And then it's the potato chips are, are on salads. So we've got salad greens kind of running around the, uh, the the dish, and then you've got this little chip, and you've got this uh, um, black tiger shrimp um, with wasabi cream on top, and it comes with a little candle inside. I thought that was kind of creative, ingenious, different. Seeing a little can a little candle that's actually lit right in the middle of the dish. It was interesting, really good. Um, tried a dumpling set there. We'll talk more about that about the, in the future. Uh, veggie spring roll, and then um, the uh, this is really good. The uh, soup dumplings, the Zhao Bao, is a Shanghainese vinegar. It comes with so you've got these soup dumplings, and everyone will know that you'll have them in a dim, dim sum wherever you go. But they've got these steamed um, uh, soup dumplings are very good. But then it comes with this Shanghainese vinegar on the side, and the owners told me that it is actually imported from Shanghai because they couldn't find the exact same vinegar that they want to go with these soup dumplings locally, which is kind of odd because you'd think with all the Chinese restaurants we have here, you'd find this, but apparently it's not common and they actually import it in. And another a new dish we had was called the lamb hot pot with fermented bean curd. This was also very tasty. Uh, it's a winter dish. It's only available from December to February. So if you want to try this, you'll have to get in there soon. Um, I suggest having this one more for eat in versus takeout because it is a hot pot. It comes on on top of like a burning a candle underneath to keep it warm. Um, it's very tasty, very comforting. It was a really good one. Get some jasmine rice to go with it. Um, and then we also try one of their, one of their popular dishes from the menu called the, it's the eggplant with uh, using sauce. So it's actually spelled Y-U-X-I-A-N-G sauce. It was very tasty. Uh, they told me they do not use any, any MSG in any of their cooking. Everything is made from scratch in-house. Um, the, uh, there are scallion pancakes the chef makes daily, and you can see him make it in the front window. If you're there when he's actually making it, maybe not the height of service, but you'll see him in the window, and anybody, a customer's going to watch, and he's rolling the uh, the uh, dough to make his scallion pancakes. Uh, they make all the dumplings in-house as well, so you can check that out when you are there. So check them out on uh, in Kitsilano. And then I had a chance to interview uh, Vincent Garcia. He's the co-owner of Casama Chocolate on Granville Island. They are a um, bean-to-bar chocolate company, which we'll talk more about in our interview. Uh, he's one of four partners, four friends that got together and started a chocolate company and using um, cacao beans from the Philippines. So that's what started them out, and they are making incredible uh, chocolate bars now, and, and they're, you know, they're selling them across the United States and Canada and uh, so have a listen to my interview with Vincent Garcia. Talking with Vince at Kasama Chocolate on Granville Island in Vancouver. So I was recently in Seattle and I saw your chocolate in a Filipino cafe in Seattle. And I was like, wow, it's so great to see this chocolate here in, in Seattle. So you are a Vancouver-based company. Maybe you can tell our, our listeners how you formed and um, you're, you're the best kept secret in Vancouver. 
<laughs> oh yeah, thanks so much, Richard, and thanks for for having me on. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Vincent Garcia. I'm one of the co-founders and owners of uh, Kasama Chocolate uh, here on Granville Island. Uh, as you alluded to, we're kind of like uh, one of the best kept secrets and worst kept secrets, depending on who you ask. Uh, we've been making uh, bean to bar chocolate now for close to seven years. Um, we're located on the, the east side of Granville Island uh, near the Granville Island Hotel. We just uh, celebrated our two year anniversary here uh, on January 1st. Um, but yeah, we've been making chocolate uh, since 2015, 2014, 2015. Um, we started with, with cacao beans from the Philippines. Uh, my family is from the northern part of uh, the country. And uh, I was back uh, summer 2014. Uh, my dad, my late, my late dad, Mario, uh, had sent me a picture of our family property that's been sitting idle there for several decades. Um, a little backstory, my, my, my grandfather was into agriculture uh, many, many years ago. But uh, when my, my dad and his, his siblings had immigrated uh, away from the Philippines or into to bigger cities, uh, we had this little family plot that's been sitting there and cacao was growing on it. Um, so that's kind of how we started. My dad sent me a picture. I thought there were mangoes at the, at the when he first showed it to me. Uh, I then shared the, the news with uh, my, my business partners now, Stefan, uh, Oliver, and Dominic. Um, we're a group of four friends, uh, all from Vancouver. Um, that's how we came up with the name, Kasama Chocolate. Kasama is a Filipino word meaning like friendship, uh, togetherness, camaraderie. Uh, I showed them the picture. They thought it was mangoes too, but when we found out it was cacao, we thought it'd be funny if my dad can bring back cacao beans and we just started making chocolate. And within a year, we discovered this whole new industry of craft chocolate that was big already uh, in the States, uh, Europe and in Japan. And um, yeah, we, we kind of saw an, an interesting opportunity and just kind of ran with it quite serendipitously. So for people who don't know what bean to bar means, can you just explain that for people? Yep. So um, we're, we're chocolate makers or we, we there's chocolatiers and chocolate makers. Chocolate makers uh, usually make uh, chocolates from scratch, which means you're starting from the raw materials, which is uh, fermented dried cacao beans. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of a niche industry. Uh, it's starting to grow uh, in Canada, which is nice to see. Um, but yeah, so cacao grows in countries uh, 15 degrees north and south of the equator. Uh, Central South America, parts of Africa, obviously Southeast Asia, and um, there's several varieties of cacao, and you get really unique flavors depending on where it's grown. Uh, kind of similar to tea or wines, uh, terroir makes a huge impact on the flavor of a dark chocolate. So, for instance, you'll get a say a seventy percent or an eighty percent dark chocolate, but you're going to get really interesting kind of fruity or citrusy notes or caramel notes. Whereas most people would associate dark chocolate with bitterness and astringency, uh, that's like higher quality or like technically the best quality of cacao produces really nice flavors um, in bean to bar form. So, uh, so you've got some very interesting chocolates. You've been making all sorts of different ones over the years. Uh, maybe you can sort of tell us what was the first bar that you created. The first bar we created was with Philippine cacao beans uh, from the province of Cagayan, which is about 16 hours north of Manila by, by land. Um, so we roasted the cacao beans and kind of grounded it down uh, with these kind of machines called refiners. These are the early days and we didn't really know what we were doing. Our, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, we obviously had um, fermented raw beans from the Philippines and um, we were just using kind of like basic home equipment and one chocolate grinder. So I think we over roasted a little bit 
So we have this kind of like burnt nutty, like pizza cardboard uh, notes to it. But that was our very first chocolate bar. Um, and then we started kind of discovering through research that, you know, like flavor development and roasting profiles similar to coffee. I really have to pay attention to that. Um, but that was our first bar. And clearly seven years later, we've it, it tastes a lot better than that. So. So now you're doing a lot. You see, you're doing several, I guess, with liquor in them. So I, I saw one recently. I think it had whiskey in it. So how yep. did you like? How did you go about creating that? Because you, for having using alcohol, you have to know a lot about alcohol and how that works with chocolate. So how did that bar come to be? So a little bit of a secret too. Before we started making chocolate, uh, Oliver and Stefan had a craft beer project they were doing for almost eight years. Uh, it was, it's kind of stayed in that homebrew realm before like craft beer became a thing. So we consumed quite a bit of craft beer and a lot of like interesting liqueurs. Uh, so we had this idea, uh, of what would it be, what would, what would happen if we say infused the cacao beans with liquor and kind of aged it for a while. So I remember our first batch and, and for that bar in particular, you're talking about is the, uh, single malt uh, whiskey bar that we did with uh, East Vancouver um, based distillery um, odd societies, uh, Commodore whiskey. So what we did is we roast the cacao beans um, and then we basically put them into a oak cask that was supplied uh, by the distillery, kind of them to do that. And we basically let it age for about a month with uh, whiskey. So during that time, um, the cacao beans will absorb all of the kind of aromas and flavors from the liqueur, but none of the alcohol. So we actually the alcohol evaporates, we then put it in a proofing oven of very low heat. And then we discovered that when you turn that into a chocolate, it had a completely different flavor profile. And it picked up a lot of that, those nice kind of whiskey notes. And so we did that. And we have a gin bar now and a rum bar. And mm. it's almost like endless combinations. So so when you would when you do a bar for somebody else, like I know you did one with potluck eatery recently. Do you when yes. you do something like that, is there a minimum that number of bars that you would create for that? I mean, I imagine they were selling it in their restaurant. Um, how does that work? Uh, so that was a really cool project that we just did a few months back. Um, I have known Chef Justin at Potluck for 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 over a year now. Uh, we love eating their food um, and we had this idea of like, could we do something that's more like a Southeast Asian, you know, because, you know, we use about Southeast Asian beans. A lot of our influence um, comes from Southeast, Southeast Asia, sorry. And uh, so we, I mean, they're known for their salt, salt, salted egg yolk wings. Uh, a lot of their, like a lot of their products uh, that they have there. And we started just playing around with some ideas and um I think we started doing, we did probably close to six or eight different uh, test batches mm. to kind of get the, the flavors right. And in terms of numbers for that, I think we underestimated how popular it would be. Mm. I think I've had, we maybe uh, aimed for a thousand bars rather than a few hundred. Um, we've easily probably could have, could have done a lot, a uh, lot, push a lot more bars, but for a first collaboration with Pollock, I think was a huge success. So really thankful for that. So you, you had your Philippine her heritage and you're the only, I think you're the only one out of the four partners of Filipino, but um, Correct. how, how you're, you're, are you still bringing all the ca the cacao beans in from the Philippines? So it's like the Philippines is like your major source for cacao. Is that correct? It's for, it's the most, uh, most of our beans that we use for our chocolates. So we do uh, like flavored bars as well, using Philippine cacao beans. Um, but we have partners in uh, Southern Philippines, Northern Philippines, and 
I go back every year for about two months and visit different um, like plantation uh, co-ops and visit with uh, directly with farmers. So we might see a few more origins coming up from that country, which is really a neat, a neat one too. Uh, not many people know about Southeast Asian cacao beans, um, but yeah, for sure the Philippines is our main supply. And then we also have um, cacao beans from uh, Ecuador, Papua New Guinea, and Peru as well. So oh, you do. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And then, uh, so besides the bars, you have drinking chocolate. So can you talk about the drinking chocolate you have at your tasting bar in Vancouver? Yes. So we, um, everyone loves hot chocolates. And I don't know if you remember Chocolate Arts that used to be nearby Granville Island before they closed. They made a really nice uh, drinking chocolate as well. And uh, we thought that we'd play around with a bit of the ratio of the uh, liquids that we're using, whether it's um, organic milk or, or oat milk. And we found out that you can make a really thick, um, really nice, rich, uh, decadent uh, drinking chocolate. So it's a lot less liquidy. So it's a lot more decadent and rich, I'd say. Um, so it's definitely called, it's, it's called a sipping chocolate, uh, other people call it. And when we tell people what it is, it's just um, think of it almost like an espresso shot almost, but rather than being coffee, it's, it's chocolate for the chocolate lovers. Mm. And it's been a really popular drink for us. And which ones do you have available right now for people to come in your tasting room? Uh, we do a 70% uh, with Dava, which is a Southern Philippine uh, origin. Um, we do a chai spice um, and we do a mocha that has um, cacao beans and coffee beans, both from the same region in the Philippines. And we also do kind of experimental ones uh, too. So kind of like a rotating one every couple of every now and then so. and then you are doing the hot chocolate festival i believe correct correct so we are doing a hot chocolate festival that starts um this weekend and runs for a month um we haven't announced yet what we're launching but we're really excited it's gonna be something that hasn't been done uh or at least that we haven't seen been, uh, been done in vancouver yet mm. um so we're really excited it's purple that's the hint which probably gives a lot away but to me, it gives it a lot of way, but maybe not everybody else. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, you've got that on for the month, and people can come into your tasting room anytime if they want to buy the uh, drinking chocolates and your chocolate bars. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So we're well. That that starts this weekend, uh, this Saturday, but we're also open uh, Wednesday through Sundays for people that want to come by uh, Granville Island and get their chocolate well, we, are, we are excited to have you in Art Eat and Sip Granville Island coming up on January 25th. So that's going to be a yes. fun around Gravel Island. And uh, so one question recently, somebody asked me, and they said, what does that mean? When Because I had posted when I was at your place, 70%. And they said, what does 70% mean? And I'm like, well, you know, it's the origin of chocolate. But they didn't actually know. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. So can maybe you explain, like, the sweetness levels? I think if you're down at 50%, it's quite sweet. And then you kind of go up to the bitterness at the other end of the scale. And you're going 70%, which is sort of, sort of in that middle there. How yes. do you decide? How do you decide like what percentage you're going to use for chocolate? So, well, to answer the first question, so with people who aren't familiar with percentages on a chocolate bar, whether it's white or dark or a milk chocolate, so the percentage uh, refers to the amount of cacao that's in the chocolate. So, say if it's just a straight up dark chocolate bar and it's 100 grams and it's a 70 percent, that means it's 70 percent of that chocolate bar, 70 grams worth, is just from the cacao. And then the 30% would be like sugar or other ingredients. Um, in terms of how we come up with our with our recipes, and that's kind of Oliver's domain. He's got the most probably advanced palette of the four of us and, the, and all of our team here. Um, so he's got a really uh, good idea in terms of like, I guess say the ratios and we want to do a dark chocolate bar. 
he um his palate really is pretty sensitive and he can know like the sweet spots it's kind of the key to how we got a lot of our accolades over the past couple of years so so last question when you're traveling around the world what chocolates are you looking for personally I like to look for um, kind of ones with interesting ingredients. Obviously, new origins. Uh, Taiwan is kind of this newer emerging origin. Really excited to like try that out. But uh, new origins or I remember when Steph and I went to Costa Rica, we saw some bars with like tamarind in it mm. or like a soursop. Um, and the neat thing with, with bean and bar chocolate is because it's a fermented food, you could actually alter some of the flavors in the chocolate uh, just by adding in kind of different yeasts or different types of fruit into the ferment uh, with the cacao. So I always like to look for more of the stuff that's a bit off the beaten path, um, experimental stuff. I I'm a big fan of that. So, okay. That's what I look for. Yeah. No. So I imagine there's a lot to come from you guys down the road. I would imagine so, yes. I think because a lot of our relationships are direct at the origin, um, there's a lot more ability to play uh, with how the cacao is uh, being fermented and processed. So um, you'll see it definitely in the next uh, couple of years, some more experimental things coming from us, uh, as, and then hopefully the industry continues to grow too. So It's great talking to you, Vince, and look forward to having you participate in our Art, Eat, and Sip Granville Island event coming up on January 25th. The Vancouver Signature Coffee Drink Challenge this is actually our ninth annual coffee drink challenge. is on currently until February 5th. We're featuring four different cafes throughout the Metro Vancouver area in this year's challenge. And uh, very, very creative in, in, in all the drinks that everybody is doing. So uh, let me tell you all about it. So first of all, Craft Cafe actually competed two years ago and they won first place two years ago. And they are back this year with a completely different creation. It's called the Maraschino. And it is created by Maria and is a, a twist on a classic is of a Spanish latte. So they've got hints of almond and cherry uh, with a nutty profile of single origin espresso and a, with a rich and a fruity finish for a perfect winter treat. So uh, you find a little marchino cherry on top. Looks great. And uh, you can try them at the Newestminster at uh, 960 Quayside Drive, Unit 115, Newestminster, right in the heart of the... Um, waterfront there and it's called craft cafe and they've got a lot going on there too so when you are out there you can just pick up some bites some some food to eat along uh with this creation so it is called the maraschino and it's available at craft cafe and then another another spot is beyond coffee in downtown vancouver they've been around for quite a while now and they've been in our challenges in the past um they have created something called beyond sun sunrise so this is uh, manager lawrence has created this uh uh, Beyond Sunrise. Now, this one is actually only available Monday to Friday. So you've got to keep these hours in mind. Monday to Friday. It is listed on our website. Um, it is called Beyond Sunrise. And basically, it is a first thing in the morning uh, type of a, a cup of strong coffee with a glass, kind of mixing in, actually. The idea here is mixing in a strong coffee with a glass of orange juice and a toast of Nutella. That's the idea, but that's not actually, you know, not actually what it is. But it is a Nutella-flavored triple Illy espresso shot with the orange coulis on ice uh, topped with freshly whipped orange-flavored cream in a Nutella pistachio rim glass. So it sounds very interesting, very Italian. Definitely one you want to check out. 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. for dining only Monday to Friday. And they're downtown at Bar it's, uh, 1015 Burrard Street, right in downtown Vancouver. And then another spot is out in Maple Ridge. This is the new vanilla bean bake shop that opened up recently. 
There's fun drink is called have your cake and drink it too. So this is a great idea when you're merging in the, the bakery, of course, and with this, uh, with a coffee drink and uh, it's very, very creative. So it's created by Stephanie and it is a dark chocolate mocha infused with a wild amaranth cherry syrup topped with real vanilla whipped cream, chocolate shavings and a cherry on top. And I did try this one the other day when I was out there and I think it, it really goes well with their uh, FBB, their, uh, their F, I think it's FFB, FBB. I forget. Anyways, they've got this amazing cookie, three letters, just ask them for it. Just say the one that Richard liked uh it's the uh it's, and it goes really well so anything even with their brownies i think this this uh, drink will go well with that try it daily out in uh, maple ridge and then uh lastly true cafe they're in granville near granville island just the entrance of granville island very creative on this one it's called the solar eclipse so i love the whole the whole idea behind this is really really creative it's, it's uh created by megan and um you know first of all they have these fun uh, fun videos they've created for the solar eclipse which is great uh, you've got a true espresso uh, combined with a star and yeast infused licorice syrup so, and activated charcoal and garnish with dehydrated raspberry. So I was really wondering how they were going to pull this off. And they pull it off amazingly. Brilliant creation. Very, very tasty. Uh, you do not taste like there's no star anise is not strong by any means. Licorice syrup is not strong by any, any means because I mean, I'm sure people got, oh, interesting ingredients. But actually, it works out really well. And the raspberry um, just accentuates it so much more, and you just have great flavor. So you can try this daily. It's available all the time at 1500 West 2nd Avenue, just right near Granville Island. So 1500 West 2nd Avenue near Granville Island. And it is available daily right through to the end of the challenge. So make sure you head on out, try all these different creations, and vote for them for your favorites for people's choice. You can do that daily all the way through to February 5th. So I had a chance to interview Masa Shiroki. He's the owner of Artisan Sake Maker on Granville Island. Um, and they are also participating in our Artisan Sip event on Granville Island coming up on uh, January 25th. I mean, I've had him, I had a pleasure of talking him, to him many times over the years. And he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sake making, as well as to growing rice in the Fraser Valley. Can you even imagine that this is actually happening now? It is. And we talk about this on this interview. So have a listen to my interview with Masa Shiroki. Talking with Masa Shiroki, he is the founder of Artisan Sake Maker of Gra on Granville Island. Uh, tell me, how did you start your company when you did and why did you choose Granville Island? Was that, um, was that for a historical reason or is that for that's where you wanted to be to start your sake making? Hi, um, thank you for having me on the on your show. Um, it's a privilege. Um, the reason why I chose Granville Island specifically was because it's an international scene, meaning that a lot of people, not only the local or BC or Canada, but internationally, they will visit there. And then I wanted them to carry the message back to their own cities and countries that, oh yeah, there are, there's an there's an interesting small nano um, sake winery uh, on Granville Island or in British Columbia, and uh, it it's pretty good. <laughs> That's the message that I wanted to <laughs> to them to carry back to their home, and that's the reason why I chose that place. And also, um, the as everybody knows that you know Granville Island is not just for the 
for the market, uh, the public market, uh, to do shopping. Uh, but there is abundant a artist and artisans uh, that also um, a uh, foster their uh, skills and their specialties and their cultural actually heritage, and that is was very very attractive to me. So how many years ago did you start uh, making sake? Well, two days from today, that would be January 15th, we'll be celebrating. I don't think there will be any big celebration as of yet, but uh, on uh, on our 16th year anniversary. Wow. So wow. Uh, 2007 plus 16, that's 2023. That's the, well, it, it's, it's a milestone. Uh, and I think uh, we will probably be continuing on as far as my generation goes for another 10, 15 years. Uh, but then, of course, someone will carry the torch afterwards. So 16 years is a long time. So when you started making sake back then to when you're making sake back sake now, has anything changed? Um, physically, no. Um, it, you know, still through everything is done by by. Um, I mean, pretty much artisanal style uh, by hand in small batches and uh, throughout the year. Um, the Over the years, we have experimented a variety of things, of course, uh, for the better. And uh, uh, so the recipe changed a little bit, but, you know, like I said, pretty much it just stayed uh, as as it was that when we started uh, 16 years ago. So now what you're doing is you're doing something very kind of revolutionary, I suppose, that uh, you're um, growing rice in the Fraser Valley. And up until I think so many years ago, no one had ever thought of doing that. So can you explain the process of how you ended up uh, doing that and um, and how different it is or what I guess people's misconceptions are, we can't do this here, but you're doing it here. Well, um, before I even thought about climate change, uh, which def which is definitely helping ironically, um, but um, the, the reason why why I decided to do this on my own or, or, uh, was because a uh, when I was studying wine uh, back in the very early actually two thousand. Uh, Everybody talks about you know when you when you when you meet the winemakers and then you talk about um, the crop this year and um, the weather the climate um, you know some of them said yeah we had a we had a cold bite or, or the frost um, early in the spring therefore this is not going to be a very promising year something like that so it made me to think that you know um, we don't have to worry about because we would buy rice from a source. And at that time, I was importing from Japan. Um, so I couldn't actually join the conversation. Uh, and that's when I realized that, that you know, um, I should actually be looking at uh, at least trying to grow my own ingredient and controlling it. Um, uh, but uh, nobody was doing it. So I basically uh, did it on uh, trial and error um, by visiting Japanese um, farm corps uh, in Hokkaido, the Northern Japan, and also uh, had a various um, help uh, along the way uh, from the equipment um, um, dealers and all those, those kind of things. So 
it's it's really um that's where we started and then over the years um our, our first sort of uh, theme of um, sustainable, natural, and local, uh, those elements, um, you know, had to be filled in. Um, but th th there was there was nothing uh, more uh, that, you know, that we could do, uh, we could we could think of doing uh, than growing our own ingredients uh, in order to satisfy those three conditions. And so now, is all your sake uh, being made with the rice from uh, Fraser Valley? Uh, no, unfortunately, uh, uh, with an exception of the year 2015 and 16, where we had every every bottle of sake made 100% uh, from BC uh, mm. grown rice. Mm. The reason why we are trying to basically um, to, to go back to 2015 is because a, there hasn't been any history of rice growing in Canada and no one had registered. I'm talking about, you know, the the pesticides or herbicides kind of thing, which, which I don't really like myself, of course, but in order to make it easier for a farmer to grow, then unfortunately those things are necessary to a certain extent. And uh, so we still don't have it uh, because nobody bothered to register it. Uh, and so we are by default, we have to grow it organically and uh, the nature is tough. <laughs> it's, uh, it's more than, more than uh, uh, what we could handle initially, but we are, we are getting there. We are getting there. We, we're actually increasing our production to about 20%, maybe 25% at the moment of the entire batch. But, you know, remember we have, added more productions along the way so right. uh we're actually creating my uh, our own you know destiny to be even more difficult <laughs> to, to 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 satisfy the 100 percent bc contents but it'll happen so uh you started off making sake so now you're making some other products as well right so what what other things are you making ah uh, the uh from the get-go uh uh i my business plan had a use of byproduct which is called sake kasu and uh it's what's left after the sake is pressed uh so it, it's essentially um uh, kind of a moist a uh rice uh fermented rice um cakes if you like mm -hmm. and uh, uh that is a gold to us um uh, because a it can be it can be used in a culinary um scenes like uh um, enhancing um food soup stock uh and and uh it also marinades and uh meats and vegetables it, it fish mm -hmm. uh so chefs actually you know go crazy with this uh, so-called umami bomb um and uh it's almost like a miso without the sodium so that's one um also um, the traditionally Japanese women in, you know, uh, probably uh, in older generations uh, know this, that uh, the sake kasu is a wonderful natural moisturizer, skin moisturizer. So we also developed uh, six lines of uh, products uh, under the banner of uh, Orize, uh, that's a brand name. Uh, and that's pretty much 
takes care of even to the last, you know, grams of the sakekasu. And in fact, uh, we can't, you can't make enough sakekasu. So, you know, we jokingly say that, well, our business is actually to uh, to produce sakekasu. And so that means we have to make more sake. Mm, okay, interesting. <laughs> So uh, we're very excited to have you as part of the uh, Art, Eat, and Sip Granville Island event that we were doing with Dino Vancouver Fest on uh, January 25th. Can you tell me what you would like to, people to see at Artisan Sake Maker that uh, maybe people have not been there before? They may not have. They may have seen your sake at a dinner party. They may have had it in a restaurant, but they may have not known that you are on Granville Island and they're about to visit you. But what would you like people to see or learn from this experience? Well. The first thing that I would, um, I hope that people would realize right away as soon as they start sipping our sake is that it's it's different from a so-called a traditional uh, Japanese style sake, even though it's 100% made from uh, from rice. Um, it actually has more acidity. Uh, it actually has more fruity notes, uh, more a, a aromatic. And uh, uh, it actually goes very well with, you know, what you what you have in your fridge on a day to day basis. Um, uh, the cheese and, and and cold cuts, for example, uh, which I love very much. So we actually made our sake into a a style in for for North American food. Um, I, I'm not saying that it is not going to go with sushi and sashimi. Of course it would, but it's a given. Um, so that's the first thing that I, I would hope that the people would be uh, noticing. And uh, we have three different kind of uh, um, uh, small food uh, that they would be enjoying and uh, to to pair with with the with the three different sake. And, and you actually, yeah, so I was just saying, so you have three different sakes in your lineup. Is that correct? Yes, uh, for the sampling. No, at, at the moment, well, not, for, not, for have... the sample, not for the sampling, but actually in production, you oh. have you make three different kinds of sake. Is that correct? A, a lot more than that. Uh, more we, than have, that. we have we have actually a twelve uh, styles of sake, including uh, sparkling uh, and um, uh, including a traditional method sparkling sake, like a champagne of sake. Mm. Uh, which is actually going to be in production pretty soon. Um, so out of those, um, we chose, we selected three um, uh, very, very original uh, style of sake um, for the for the tasting and uh, for your event. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing almost like 12 different uh, types, for the restaurant side of things, when you are selling to restaurants and, and restaurants are serving your sake, which do you go with a certain type of different style of sake or can or, or restaurants buying all the different ones that you make? Right. Uh, it, it varies, of course, depending on the style of uh, food that they they offer uh, at their own uh, restaurant. Um, but, you know, we have a general recommendations. Um mm -hmm. One style of sake would go with seafood better. Uh, the another one would go with a, a very rich um, food, uh, the beef, of course. I mean, the, the red meats, and uh, uh, the the another type uh, would go with somewhere in between. So seafood, red meats, white meat, you know, that kind of um, 
categorization, if you like, uh, of of the style of sake is uh, what what um, uh, what the restaurant would would uh, um, would be advised of first of all, and then they choose from there. Okay. So are there any um, any restaurants that people may know of in Vancouver that are carrying uh, your sake that you might want to mention? Um, for for the restaurants that are doing uh, dine out, for example, mm. um, it, you know, surprisingly, or we are <laughs> uh, more more non Japanese style uh, food service uh, establishments uh, carry. Our sake, mm -hmm. and that's precisely because I just said earlier uh, that you know we we are trying to make our pro products uh, to go with a Canadian food, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, definitely, um, you know, there are lots of good Japanese imports um, and in the in town, and uh, those generally end up being served in the rest Japanese restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, um, so we have, for example, um, um, a Burdock who uh, did a wonderful uh, porridge um, uh, dish uh, to go with the Fraser Valley uh, Renaissance. And this is a 100% uh, uh, made from uh, Fraser Valley grown rice. Uh, and uh, we also have a, oh, uh, we probably have more than a handful of, of uh, restaurants that you know, you would know in town that carries our product. Um, but we are hoping to um, expand it to a more a um, ethnic driven a establishments. Um, the, you know, one of our style of sake would go very well with Italian, for example, uh, mm. or the other one would take lots of spices, which Japanese uh, Japan made sake generally are not really good at, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, Thai food, Indian food, those kind of things. So, um, you know, we have lots of work to do still, uh, but uh, it's it's uh, it's spreading very um, uh, slowly, but surely uh, people are realizing that, oh, okay, so I guess not just for sushi and sashimi anymore. Mm -hmm. That's actually really good to push the boundaries. Yes. Because you're well, right. That's what people always always thought. They always thought that, that was that's when you would have your sake. That's right. And uh, you know, uh, there's no good or bad, but people again have been uh, in a sort of a I don't know cocoon, if you like, uh, to think that sake has to be heated and then poured in a, into a little cup and then shoot it down. But you know, that's I'm also trying to sort of uh, make people think otherwise uh, by offering them as a, as a wine, white wine, uh, and then drink it in a slightly chilled, eight to 12 degrees, and then uh, in, a, uh, in a simple, um, you don't need any expensive wine glasses, but in a simple wine glass. Hmm. Thank you for listening to this week's show. Tune into the next episode next week to hear more interviews with chef and cookbook authors, as well as other features. Please tell your friends about this podcast and have them subscribe to the Van Foodster Podcast and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Amazon Music to hear my weekly show covering the food scene in and outside of Vancouver.